In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On this day, Easter 2, the amalgam of lessons that are read, the first lesson from Acts, the the psalm, the second from Revelation, and then the, the gospel of memory. If there's any detail you remember, it's likely entwined in the storyline surrounding the figure of Thomas, the disciple who confesses faith in Jesus as his Lord and his God, like no other disciple. If you remember anything at all, you're, you're probably there picturing St. Thomas standing there looking to stick his fingers in Jesus' hands, feet, and side. But his confession of faith here, it rivals that of St. Peter. The figure he presents is so compelling that we're inclined to overlook the teachings of the first half of the passage. And it's in that first half of the passage that we learn, we, the church, learn of our birthright and inheritance. Chronologically, we pick up where we left off last Sunday. It's the night of Easter Day. And after having revealed himself to Mary and telling her that he's about to ascend to the Father, unique to John, Jesus appears to the disciples and announces his peace. He breathes. He aspirates the Holy Spirit on them and then sends them into the world with the gospel message, empowered in the name of God to forgive and retain sins. This is the story of the birth of the church. And yes, it's our birthright that's at stake in this reading, not necessarily the evangelist's grasp of chronological order. Luke has, as you well know, a competing notion. If peace and the absolution of sin, reconciliation to God, are Christ's last will and testament, then in a very real sense, we, the church, are named executors of that will. You've been given the responsibility of dispensing, guarding, and nurturing that peace and the absolution of sin. Jesus says to the disciples, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Tough shoes to fill. Your presence in the world is the presence of Christ, and you are empowered to be that presence by means of the Spirit. People talk about meeting God on the top of a mountain or at the beach, on the golf course, on on a lake at sea, in the midst of a storm, at the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, that may be. But such meetings are at best arbitrary and occasional. God has charged his church to be his presence, instituted his sacraments that you might find some measure of assurance of God in them. God is there in baptism. God is there in the body and blood of his son. God is there in the peace that's announced. You can know you've come into the presence of God, into the presence of God's peace and receive them when you stand and sit and kneel and pray and praise and sing right here. The the sacramental rites of the church offer an assurance that's derivative of the two great sacraments. God is there in confirmation when the strength of the Spirit is prayed over the confessing Christian. God is there in the reconciliation of a penitence as sins are forgiven. God is there in marriage as the couple take lifelong vows 
and pledge their fidelity to one another. God is there at ordination as the baptized under God set aside ministers to orchestrate the life of the body. God is there as the sick are anointed and healing is prayed for. The assurance of God's presence in the sacramental life of the Christian, this is the inheritance, it's the mission of the Christian and of the church. What an awesome responsibility this is. What a joyous responsibility you have. Every time the church makes Eucharist, you proclaim God's peace and his desire to be reconciled to the world. Every time you exclaim, thanks be to God at the dismissal, you prepare to be the body and blood of our Lord for the world. Just as Christ nourishes you with his body, so you become his body, his sacrament, a vessel of peace, an icon of grace. Do you think of your life this way? Do you think of your body this way, an icon of God's grace? What the world knows of peace, they know by your life. What they know of grace, they know by your life. What the world has learned of Christ, they've learned by your life. And what they have forgotten or never learned of Christ, they have forgotten or never learned by your life. You are the church, the body of Christ, the sacrament of his presence in the world. Now, someone will say that this point's being overstated or overemphasized. But if ever there were a time when the world needed to hear the words of the risen Christ, peace be with you, it is now. Ask the residents of Donbass, do you know this peace? The residents of Mariupol or the Gaza Strip. Ask the citizens of the Baltic states, do you know this peace? Ask the citizens of Pakistan or Bangladesh, do you know this peace? The violence threatened or experienced by the many in these countries, the violence of our own inner cities or in the, the homes we occupy, it's primeval. It's of a distorted Eden and has as its only remedy the peace of Christ. The case for peace cannot be overstated. The case for peace cannot be overemphasized. So when you go home this morning, resist the temptation to leave this story from the Gospel of John between the covers of the Gospel book. Instead, pull out your Bible. Linger for a moment with these words. Take consolation in the power of the storyline that reveals the extraordinary confession of faith from Thomas's initial doubt, but don't forget to rejoice in the gift of the Holy Spirit and the birthright that the risen Christ has bestowed on the church to see the church and thus your life as a sacrament. It cannot help but turn your principles for living, your priorities for living upside down. You must always speak and stand for this peace. Always remember, never forget, you are called to be witnesses of this peace, this peace of the resurrection. You're called to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Come, Holy Spirit, come and make me that peace. Make me that love 
for which my Lord died and rose from the grave. Amen.